Hi, my name's Madalena Kay, and I'm the host of the podcast AI and You, produced by Europod in partnership with Podium Podcast, Agence France Press, and Cora Media. In AI and You, we deal with the history of AI and how it is having an impact on our lives. From social relationships to employment, from climate change to wars and security. Is AI changing our world for the better or the worse? Come and check it out for yourself. Subscribe to AI and You wherever you listen to podcasts. Europod. This is Europe Talks Back, a podcast that uncovers impactful stories from across the continent. We work with independent journalists to cover stories on the ground. In today's episode, we'll take you behind the scenes of Europe Talks Back. Our producer, Maria Dios, will take it from here. That's right. In the behind-the-scenes episodes of Europe Talks Back, I will have a chat with podcasters across the continent who collaborate with us. Every two weeks, you can grasp the essentials of their work, covering impactful stories on the ground, and how those stories matter. So today, we have invited Anna Rumendash. She is the scriptwriter of the episode on disability in times of war. Anna Rumendash is an award-winning journalist and researcher who is based in Ukraine. She has extensive experience working across Eastern Europe and Central Asia, where she has covered human rights violations for international media. Anna, welcome to the behind the scenes of Europe Taxback. Hi, thanks for having me. So you are the very first guest of this new season of Europe Talks Back. It's a great pleasure to begin this journey across the continent with you. And the first stop is Ukraine. But before talking about the work we have done together for the episode on disability in times of war, our previous episode, could you tell us a little bit about you? Sure. My name is Anna Romandash. I am a Ukrainian journalist. Prior to Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine, I used to do a lot of foreign reporting and covering a lot of events that were taking place across Europe for Ukrainian audiences. But now I mostly work on something the other way around. So basically I'm covering what's happening in my country for a lot of audiences outside of Ukraine, for a lot of Europeans, for Americans, for Asian audiences as well. And I'm just trying to help people outside of Ukraine to understand what's happening in the country and to deliver some quality reporting on the situation so they have access to good sources in, in English, in Spanish, in their languages that are made by journalists who know the local situation really well. That sounds like a brilliant career for a young journalist. If I may add, you have worked for several media outlets like the CNN, Radio Free Europe, Deutsche Welle, just to mention a few. And as you said, you specialized in foreign affairs, but also in human rights and conflict resolution with a focus on Eastern Europe, where you're based. Could you tell us what are the main challenges of reporting from Ukraine since the Russian invasion? So there are many different challenges that are just piling up on top of another. The first most obvious challenge would be the physical security. 
and the threats that journalists alongside all of the people inside of Ukraine are facing. So obviously, many Ukrainians are under constant threat of carpet bombing. There are regular air alerts. There is a danger of missiles just attacking cities, localities, villages, and so on. So while most of the country is trying to live to lead a life as normal as possible, given the situation. It's just the reality of Ukraine nowadays that you go to work and then maybe in the middle of the work, you have to go down to the bomb shelter and wait there because there is a threat that a missile is incoming into your city or into your village or into your town. And this is something that a lot of Ukrainians who live farther from the front line in the rear are facing every day. And they're trying to maintain their lives as normal as possible. But of course, this is the reality of a country being invaded by its neighbor. And obviously, the closer you get to the front line, and if you're a war correspondent, the dangers increase. Because there, the threat of an attack are not just regular, they're constant. So the closer you get to the front line, the more likely you are to be attacked. And there are a lot of war correspondents, a lot of journalists who are embedded with the Ukrainian military. So there are a lot of threats to them. So depending on what kind of work you're doing, whether you're closer to the front line, whether you're working directly with the military, or maybe you're collecting testimonies in the rear, maybe your danger levels will change somewhat, but still even in the rear, you're not going to be completely safe, unfortunately, because there are always threats. So physical safety, I would say, is one of the bigger issues. There are also issues related to mental health, because working in this environment is really difficult. It's very challenging, and it's nearly impossible to separate yourself as a journalist from yourself as a human being when you see the suffering, where you see injustice, and when you talk to a lot of people who share their pain, who share something like they lost somebody they love or they've seen their neighbors being killed or they have members in the army or they themselves survived occupation. Obviously, it takes a toll on your mental health. So for me, I've interviewed a lot of people who shared with me absolutely outrageous stories and it's definitely affecting me. Although I know that I am still doing better comparing to the people who've actually survived occupation, right? So it's also, you are suffering mentally, but then you also feel bad for doing that because you understand that there are people who are suffering way more than you. So there are a lot of different layers to the challenges journalists faced. Obviously, financial security is another problem because after the invasion, the financial, like the market, the media market has changed completely. So the revenues, the advertising, it's very hard to get to the pre-war levels, you know, of a developing, bustling democracy of big markets. So there are a lot of challenges that just kind of pile on top of each other and they're all connected and they're all related to the invasion. So, you know, it's important to tackle them all as a system, right? So to kind of have Ukrainian journalists share their experiences to be able to understand the situation as a whole. It's really important. And despite those challenges, the war in Ukraine did not stop you from doing reporting. On the contrary, as you said, I believe eager to tell the reality that your country has been facing since the Russian invasion. The latest example is disability in times of war. Now, if some of our listeners haven't checked that episode yet, how would you convince them to do it? Let's try an elevator pitch. 
I think disability is very often perceived as something invisible. We don't want to think about it. Even in countries where there's infrastructure or better understanding of what disability is, let's face it, the truth is a lot of body-abled people, a lot of people without disability feel awkward or they don't know how to act around disability. They don't have the vocabulary. They just feel like they would rather not think about it. And then we have a situation of war, which makes all of the challenges, disability, poverty, inequality, injustice, so much more visible, so much more clear, and so much harder to ignore. So my suggestion would be not to look away from harder topics. A lot of us would prefer not to think that there is a war in Europe, the biggest war we've had in 80 years. But yet we are looking at it, we are following it because this is important, this is real life and it affects millions of people. And the same is about disability. A lot of us would prefer not to think of it because it doesn't affect us directly, but we have to think of it because it is affecting our neighbors, our friends, people we may not even know, but we may encounter. So we have to choose all of these battles. We have to choose all of these issues because they do matter to us as a humanity in a way. Right. So in disability in times of war, we can listen to the story of Tanya, a young woman who fled the war in Ukraine with additional obstacles due to her and her mother's disability. Unfortunately, she's one of the lucky ones, if we can say that in this context, as many others are trapped in Ukraine because of the lack of accessibility. Yet this grim picture is not easy to find in mainstream media. Do you believe people with disability are once more invisible to the rest of the world? You were saying before that it's more difficult to look away, but if we look at the main media outlets, it's difficult to find these stories. So what's your take on that? I think the reality is that media is kind of like a mirror of the society, right? So if, if we don't have women in the media, you wouldn't have too many stories on women's issues. And if you don't have disabled journalists, you're most likely not going to have too many stories on disability. Now, it doesn't have to be that way. And you can have, you know, male journalists writing about women's issues. You can have journalists without disability writing about disability issues. But I'm just saying, you know, because we don't have a lot of journalists, for example, with disabilities, we may not always think of it. We don't have a lot of disability politicians with disabilities. That's also another reason. So yeah, the stories with disabilities, I think, tend to be overlooked because there's not a lot of representation that would just kind of appear, pop up and, you know, attract more attention. So you kind of have to make a little bit of an effort to discover it. But I would say, from my experience, a lot of disability activists, at least in Ukraine, they are making themselves known. They are making themselves heard. I, why I definitely see and understand that the infrastructure is lacking. There is a lack of a lot of things that would make basic human rights accessible for everybody, including people with disability. I do notice, and through this work that I'm doing too, I do notice that there is more interest and more dialogue or at least more conversation on these topics because if we journalists do our job, if we cover this, if we cover the issues that are sometimes overlooked, and then if, for example, disability activists are able to use social media, a lot of modern tools also to 
increase or magnifies your voices, I think it will be possible in not such a distant future to mainstream these topics. So they would not be so unusual, but that would actually be quite relevant and common in a lot of media. Let's look at the future. Ukraine is now working on the country's reconstruction. There's no doubt that people with disability should be included in rebuilding societies in past conflict situations because they know what inclusive means. Is this the case for Ukraine? How's the government working together with NGOs such as Tanya's? So from what Tanya told me, that there is a dialogue with the government. It is not, let's say, perfect because there is a lot of bureaucracy and it takes a lot of time to communicate anything between different parties. But there is definitely a dialogue and there are platforms for cooperation and for civil society to make their voices heard. So I can say as a journalist, but also, you know, a civil society member in Ukraine, Ukraine has a very strong civil society. It has a very strong media community, has a strong community of activists who are watching and monitoring whatever it is that the government is doing. There are people, organizations that are already watching, for example, how government is planning to spend money on reconstruction, how the government is planning to rebuild particular cities and to do this and to do that. So there will definitely be that monitoring in the future too. And it is our job as civil society, as journalists, as different NGOs to basically hold the government to account for whatever it is that they're doing. So from the government side, and I hope this continues, that there will be dialogue and that dialogue will intensify and that will actually be meaningful and produce tangible results, right? So dialogue, I think, is the first step for civil society organizations. It's important to continue engaging. So that first step materializes into something lasting that will have a long-term impact on Ukraine. Great. Thank you. Let's wrap out this conversation in this positive note. There's hope to make things better this time regarding disability rights in Ukraine. So, Anna, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. As our insightful conversation with Anna Rumandash comes to a close, we now shift our focus to the latest developments surrounding disability rights in Europe. This review starts at the heart of the European Union, Over 700 disability advocates met with EU representatives to push for their rights in the run-up to the upcoming European elections. It happened on May 23rd in Brussels at the European Parliament of Persons with Disabilities. The agenda of the event included demands such as ensuring that all persons with disabilities have the right to vote, adopting an EU-wide disability card to guarantee the mutual recognition of disability status across the member states and pushing for further protection for women with disabilities to ban forced sterilization. Still, on the latter, this abusive practice is allowed in health of the European Union. According to the latest report of the European Disability Forum from 2022, there are 14 member states that allow a legal representative or a doctor to consent to the sterilization of a person with disabilities 
on their behalf. Spain was one of the last countries to tighten the law to put an end to these practices that undermine women's rights. However, the fight for women with disabilities is still alive in this country. If you would like to learn more about their fight, I strongly recommend checking the video production of El Salto for Esfera Network, available on our YouTube channel. We have reached the end of this week's episode of Europe Talks Back, a podcast that uncovers impactful stories from across the continent. This show is part of the Sphera Network project and is available on Europod. Our sound designed and mixing are by Jeremy Bouquet. My name is Maria Dios. Stay tuned for next week's episode, where we will go on a journey to the Netherlands to uncover stories of life's shape by institutionalized racism. Bye.